Welcome to Immigrantly, an honest space for unabashedly truthful conversations. I am your host, Sadia Khan. Before we dive into today's episode, I have a heartfelt request for all of you. Now, most of you know we are passionate about bringing you incredible content and can't do it without your support. So here's the deal, guys. We are not just another podcast. We are a community, a family, an experience, and we need your help to keep this conversation alive. So here's what I want you to do. Head over to our Apple Podcasts page and drop us a lovely review. Or you can just swing by our Patreon page to explore subscription options. Your support goes a long way in fueling our mission. Look, We'll continue bringing you excellent content no matter what. But your allyship means the world to us. Contrary to what people may think, content creation demands immense effort and dedication. Your support helps us do more, learn more and grow more. So take a moment to reflect. Why haven't you left us a review or subscribed to our Patreon yet? Think about it. Your actions can make a world of difference. Anyways, now let's jump into today's episode. Our today's guest is Umar Al-Dakhil. He's a filmmaker and producer originally from Kuwait. He moved here first after receiving a scholarship to the University of Miami. He got his MFA in film from USC where he made one of his first films, Alama, covering one of the few women imams. He is currently an associate producer on the Netflix docu-series American Manhunt, like the Boston Marathon Bombing. The city's coming alive. The flowers are blooming. This was a situation that struck terror into everybody. Everyone is now scrambling to understand what exactly happened. A decision was made to shut down the city. What ended up happening is exactly what we didn't want to happen. I am so psyched to be in conversation with Omar. So let's get started. so excited to have you on Immigrant Leomar. How are you doing? I'm doing really great. Thank you, Sadia. I really appreciate it. Good to be with you. So you're working on something with Netflix, and that's why we had to reschedule our interview. And I'm really curious to know, how much can you share? Well, I can share the previous projects that we've done, and it's a continuation of it. So the project that we did called American Manhunt, and that was season one that was released in April of this year, 2023. And that marks the 10-year anniversary of the Boston Marathon bombing. And the story was about the Boston Marathon bombing. So that was the theme. It did really well. It was on top 10 on Netflix for several weeks. And then Netflix were happy with the results and they wanted to create other seasons. So they greenlit season two and season three of different manhunts in American history. And so 
that's as much as I can share. So it's uh, usually really the most watched on Netflix with all the true crime, as you know, on Netflix, it does really well. And I work with the same team and they're really great. And so um, we are in development slash pre-production right now with the current season that we're in. We're aiming to shoot somewhere before Thanksgiving. And then, as you know, like editing takes time. So hopefully early next year, that's when it will be released. That's exciting, Omar. But your journey began in Kuwait. Yes. So let's rewind. You moved from Kuwait to the U.S. Tell me, how did that come about? Well, the good thing is Kuwait had scholarships for anybody who wants to study abroad. So in high school, you know, I applied for the scholarship and it was like whoever gets the highest score. It was like the first time I guess they used this kind of computer system, which to me was much better because you can be more fair, if that makes sense, as opposed to people helping people. And I got the highest score in the country. There was only one seat to study that what I wanted to study, which is mass communication slash journalism. And so I did get it. And I did study broadcast journalism at University of Miami. And I also get a second degree in theater arts, which is another thing that I worked in. And I also love theater. After that, I applied for another scholarship for grad school. And that's when I went to USC to study film because I really wanted to expand this kind of journey of journalism into like documentary filmmaking. Now I wanted to tell narrative storytelling on a bigger scale. So it's not just like a minute or two package that you see on the news. And also because I realized that journalism is shifting and also documentary is now a different field than journalism because it's very much subjective and with the music, with the storytelling, with the structure, with like you know, cliffhangers, with so many things. And Netflix, I think, is the first big platform to have made documentaries to be binge watchy. Hmm. It wasn't like that. People now just can't wait for the next episode. And I thought this is a very good time. And I think it's the golden era for television in general and also for documentary, I think. And so, um, you know, it worked out. <laughs> it worked out exactly. But Omar, talk to me about why journalism? Why did you pick this field? Well, as a Muslim growing up in Kuwait post 9-11, I just thought, without giving too many hints about the project I'm working on. But <laughs> I just felt like I wanted to be in the ring. I just felt like news was unfair to us Muslims and Arabs in general. And some of it is personal, some of it is uh, Islamophobes. But a lot of times it's just ignorance. And a lot of times it's just they just don't know better or it's inaccurate. And that's not just documentary. That's also the movies. And, you know, I went to USC to study film and TV production. So I'm also a writer. I'm writing right now and I want to do fiction. I've done shorts, but my goal like next year, that's my biggest goal is to actually do feature fiction. I guess the storytelling in general has been unfair and or inaccurate. And I think a lot of it is our fault as Muslims and Arabs for not partaking in this field. And a lot of it comes from fear. Like a lot of, you know, the podcast got immigrantly, a lot of our families and a lot of immigrants families, they want you to either be a doctor or an engineer or something like that because you came to this country, you have to prove yourself. But for me, the case was different because I didn't leave Kuwait because I was struggling. Kuwait is a very wealthy country and uh, my family is well off. Thank God. So it wasn't that. It was to me the love of art and the love of storytelling. So it's not necessarily documentary. I think if I wasn't doing documentary, I would do fiction. If I wasn't doing fiction, I would be writing books. If I wasn't doing books, I would do podcast. I would do anything art, painting, whatever it is that I can tell a story and I tell it in the most truthful way. And I just think that 
when you see something and it moves you, you feel like, I want to do the same thing, especially of something that moves you. So there's their art and craft of it, which I love, you know, the creation side of it. But also there's the side of me that wants to tell the truth. And so I felt like there was a lack for representation of, and it's not just Muslims and Arabs, you see it with other marginalized communities in general, you know, and so I thought this is the time for me to actually do something about it instead of just complaining. You know, there's so much to deconstruct in what you said. First, as you said, a lot of people who come to the U.S. as immigrants, their journeys are different. Not everybody's struggling. Some people come with privilege like you did, like I did to some extent. And then there are people who are really looking for the American dream in a very traditional sense of the dream itself, right? <laughs> But you talk about you wanted to create something that moves you What has been something that has really moved you or impacted you? I think one of the documentaries that I've seen is Werner Herzog. He is one of the most respected documentarians in our lifetime. And uh, one of the documentaries he did is about my country, God Lessons of Darkness. And it's about the burning of oil fields in Kuwait after the Gulf War, the first Gulf War in 1991, after Saddam Hussein and his military burned all of the oil fields. And during the day, it's dark and people died. Animals have died. Creatures have died. It was one of the most catastrophes in history that air wars polluted all the way from Kuwait to Japan. It was really, really mm. bad. The way he told it, though, with like opera music, it felt like the whole thing was in a different planet. So it was the first time for me that I see association and dissociation of something that hits home. So the way he told it, it's almost like we're in Mars or somewhere. It wasn't on planet Earth. And it's almost like he's saying a commentary about us humans as creatures, almost like a point of view as if an alien is seeing us and what the hell are we doing to our planet? And so... That really made me see storytelling and documentary and reality in a different way. It's very subjective, obviously. The music is very opera type music. And uh, the shots and everything that was constructed is just he's trying to make a statement and try to make you feel something. And it's a commentary about us humans and what we do to our planet. And I thought that was really powerful. And then years later, I came to meet Werner Herzog. Oh, nice. And uh, interview him for one of the documentaries that I did called Jihad in Hollywood. And it follows an Assyrian actor. His name is Jihad. I have nothing. I have no money. I have no career. Where everyone knows about Jay back home in California, nobody knows anything about me. And after the uprising in Syria happened, he had to flee with his life and come here. But with a name like that, it's hard to survive. An American had to change his name from Jihad to just the first letter, which is J. And Herzog saw him and cast him in his film called Queen of the Desert with Nicole Kidman. And it was an interesting to see the arc of a person who had a successful, busy career and then losing it all, coming to America mid-age crisis in terms of like no English, no income, no family, and then trying to recitate his career and reinvent himself. And then you get to meet somebody like Vern Herzog, but the story doesn't end because then you have to make the movie whether the movie does well or not. But what I like about Herzog is also his interest in nature and our part of the world and other parts of the world, his curiosity. So I think curiosity is something that also drives your work. 
Yeah, I'm always curious. I think if you're judgmental and you already made your judgment about something, I don't think you're the right person to tell the story. I think if you're really curious or fascinated about something, I think that's the best way to actually go. You know, Omar, I want to go back to Jihad in Hollywood because I started watching it. And it's such an intelligent play on words. Because when I saw the title Jihad in Hollywood, I was almost hesitant to watch mm-hmm. it because I was like, oh my gosh, has Umar made yet another movie about yeah. Muslim terrorists yeah. or something? And when I started watching it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is intelligent cinema. This is creative cinema, which is so fascinating. Now, you've mentioned a few times that cinema or documentary making has changed. Filmmaking mm. has changed. You're talking more about it being an experience. There is music. It's evocative. It really draws audiences in. What are some of the challenges in an environment where everyone is trying to create that holistic experience? Well, I think the challenges with fiction, you can tell the actors to walk in a certain way, to do a certain thing. You want it to provoke a certain emotion. But when you're dealing with real people, well, first of all, how it changed is that it used to be like sit down interview. I show you some archive history lesson. A lot of times it's boring. It doesn't do well with especially young adults. Now it's becoming very similar to how you watch a movie. Like you see a scene, somebody driving, then they go to their house, they're talking to their family, eating dinner, they're doing this, and they're running into the, like whatever the problems that they have. There's also the advance of technology. A lot of graphics have come into play, uh, the music, the image itself has become a lot better. And so um, there's a use of animation and a- other things that you could use to tell a story. There's different styles. But I think it's the structure that has been done as, as if it's the present time while it's happening. So this has become a game changer as opposed to it's an oral history lesson. So the challenges with that, though, is that it's the question of whether it's ethical or unethical when you're really telling a real yeah, person. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, yes. if you don't get it in the right moment. You cannot just tell them to repeat, do that again. It depends on what it is. If it's somebody just drinking water, fine. This is not a big deal. But if it's a moment of drama, like let's say somebody's fighting with their spouse or something. Let's say in Jihad in Hollywood, there's the moment when they didn't let him in and it was his own movies, his own premiere, and they didn't know who he was and they turned him down. The camera was shaky and it worked at the end. We made it work, but it's not ideal. And it was frustrating in terms of filmmaking because we didn't expect it to happen and it did happen. And that's one piece of big part of the story is like, even when he made this movie, he couldn't even be let into his own premiere. That's so sad. It is. And so, and it shows you that Hollywood is not what people think. You know, it is jihad in, in, oh, in, yeah. the, sense, <laughs> in the sense that it's a struggle. And, and jihad talks about being the meaning of his name. I sometimes feel Hollywood is in many ways, performative when it comes to being liberal, because there are so many stereotypes about minorities, about Muslims that are really reinforced by Hollywood. And not just that, but like guns. (laughs) That's another thing, you know, it's like there's so many things that you can see the hypocrisy. I do think that it's changing. I do think there's a lot of people, you know, like me and you and other people that are trying to change it. And I think there has been initiatives. I mean, I was part of one of the initiatives from Netflix about from underrepresented communities that they gave us a fellowship. And through that fellowship, I was able to get this job and tell it to accurate. I can tell you that Netflix, as far as the projects that I was part of, 
they respected my religion and my culture and every comment that I gave. And I was even surprised that I didn't think I had much power, but that it's not about power. Do I really want to do the right thing? I just think... It's about authenticity. People like authentic content, right? And we also have to speak our minds too. We have to be part of the game. We have to be in the room in order to communicate or voice your concerns. If you don't, then how do you expect them to know? And you have to really work very hard for it. I do think that Netflix and other companies like Disney and others have created some programs to support people of color, to support women, and to support minorities in getting in the door in the industry. And so I do think that Hollywood right now, despite everything, in my opinion, is much better in terms of like at least acknowledging minorities and being authentic with minorities. I think it's much better. Now, some people are like, oh, the movies now suck. They're not the same as like The Godfather or whatever. Yeah, well, there is different variables with that. That's nostalgia. If you watch movies from the 80s and 90s, some of them are extremely problematic, by the way. Like when we watch them now, we are like, what? Omar, you talk about getting seat at the table, basically. And I wonder, what are you willing to compromise to be in the room? I mean, the things that I compromise is credit, money. I don't care about that. I really care about telling the truth and the storytelling. So a lot of times I feel like people are willing to accept a high paying job or a job that pays well, despite what that project says. I'm not trying, by the way, to make Muslims or Arabs or immigrants look amazing. This is not my job. I'm trying to make us look accurate. You're sharing humanity. Yes. So just authentic. I want authenticity. To me, authenticity is the thing. If somebody could, so many people, that's fine. You can show them, I can listen to but be accurate on how they dress, how they talk, just be authentic. And they do that with other... <laughs> Identities. Yeah, with other people like them or whatever, you know, other white antagonists. But somehow when it comes to brown people, it's not authentic. But they've been trying. And I think that's another reason why we have to be involved. And they're opening the door. Maybe, of course, it's not, we're not there yet. There needs to be a lot of work. There's acknowledgements from everybody. Of course, you always want to have a better position, a bigger position. Of course, you want to level up like your responsibilities. Of course, everybody, like especially living in LA or New York, it's hard to survive with very low, you know, especially our industry. A lot of people think it's glamorous. It's not really glamorous. It's a lot of hard work. And it really doesn't pay that much. Hence why there's a strike. Thank God it just ended yesterday. But it's a really very mentally and physically exhausting job to work in movies and in documentaries. And so to me, I'm compromising a lot of that, a lot of time, a lot of low pay, a lot of even with sometimes credit just for the sake of I care about the topic. I care about the subject. And I'm the only one that I can voice concern about a certain thing in this project. And I can pull things to this project that no other producer or person participating in the project can do. So fine. But Umar, I do think the fact that you can compromise on money is also a testament or a reflection of your privilege. Because you come yeah. from a family that's well off. You don't have to yeah. worry as much about money as somebody else who may 
be struggling financially and they may not be able to make those compromises because they can't afford to, right? Mm-hmm. 100%. We talked about jihad in Hollywood. One of the things that he did, some of the roles that he did, he was not proud of because he was starving. Huh. And it's hard to judge that when you're a refugee and you're starving and you know nothing else and you don't have a degree in anything else that you could work in, and especially if it's not your language, and you get cast in stereotypical roles, then a lot of people take it. And I don't blame them, honestly, because I'm not in their shoes, you know. I do blame those who are privileged. I do blame those who are creative, that are in the room, that are not doing anything about it, you know. And I do blame a lot of people with money (laughs) that are not willing to support people like me and others who are independent filmmakers because they just don't want to take the risk or something. But all they do is just complain. Absolutely. Let's preach some more over it. Yeah, I think that's a, a major problem that we have. Over on your website, you say, and I quote, you tell diverse stories with universal values that can bridge the gap between East and West. What does that bridge look like? I just saw something really cool on Instagram right now. I saw somebody playing oud. I don't know, I guess in English they call it like lute or something like the the oud instrument it's very middle eastern and he's playing beethoven to me seeing that you know is that's exactly what i mean by bridging the east and O's. so i want to see a hollywood movie and i want to do the same thing with fiction and documentary i want like fiction to look like documentaries i want documentaries to look to bridge both worlds i feel like some people say it's good to be homogenous and keep the culture and the tradition and everything but I love mixing things. I like the fusion of things. I think there's something very beautiful that can come out of it. So to me, telling human stories, like everybody can identify with love. Everybody can identify with loss. Everybody can identify with grief. Everybody can identify with family. Everybody can identify with acceptance. So these are so many universal themes, stories that I try to tell. It's like people look like me. People look like you. They're in America. They're in New York. They're in LA. So the whole setting people associate perhaps like in the movies, like, maybe with white people, but then you see Arabs and Muslims and the backdrop is America. So you don't see the desert and we're in the Middle East or somewhere else, but actually we're here. So I feel like the fusion of both cultures, it just makes it more relatable to other people. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And I think America, what I love about it, there's a mix of so many cultures and especially in Los Angeles and also in New York, so many cultures and so many cuisines and music and religions and like so many things. And so I feel like having all of these things come together and being presented in the forefront, I think that is something that I want to do. In Hollywood, a lot of times we've just seen it from like white families, Christian, you know, you don't see the nuance of other communities. And I think that's what I'm trying to do is that even in the Muslim communities and even the stories that I'm trying to tell, there's so many layers inside of this spectrum that many people don't see. And um at the end of the day, I'm trying to connect different cultures together, trying to say that we're different, but we're all the same. We're odd with each other, but we're also very similar. And that's what I'm trying to do. So you have begun building that bridge then? I'm trying, but I'm not the only one. I think it's a bridge that a lot of people like me and you are creating in the media industry. And so I guess also like your podcast called Immigrant Plea. Immigrant, the main theme that comes 
define is belonging. Mm. When you're immigrating, what does it mean to belong? What is belonging? What is that word? How can we dissect that word? What does that mean? Belonging to a family, belonging to a faith, belonging to a race, belonging to a country. So the idea of belonging has been the most common theme that I'm trying to do in the stories that I tell. I think we all struggle as people that immigrant here or came here, we all struggle with the idea of belonging. There's a reason why we're here. But also, are we really... Are we really here? Do we really belong? Exactly. Exactly. In our minds, we do. In our minds, we have made that decision. And when it's such an important point that you're making right now, I also think when I think about immigrantly, and I haven't ever, I think, said this on my podcast, which is crazy, I should have. When I think of immigrantly, it's an immigrant experience. It's Mm -hmm. an immigrant spirit. And that is a collective thought or mindset. You don't have to be an immigrant to feel the immigrant spirit. You can be a child of immigrants. You can be a grandchild of immigrants. You can be an ally of immigrants. And that's why immigrantly, which is something like immigrants, right? And you're right, the sense of belonging that all of us as humans crave is such an integral part of our existence. But Omar, you mentioned that you have created content which focuses on Muslim stories and you want to tell Muslim stories as they are. I watched your documentary, Al Imam. Mm -hmm. It's a very interesting and provocative take on women imams. The Quran is very clear that men and women are spiritual equals and yet, In the traditional mindset, women have no rights to lead prayer, no spiritual leadership role. That it is not permissible for women to lead the prayer of men. Best mosque for women is her innermost room. But you're just telling a simple story, right? The simplicity of it is beautiful. It's simple yet so profound. My question to you is when you are telling these stories, you are in a way poking at tradition. Mm -hmm. What do you hope to achieve through that? How do you want tradition to evolve through the stories that you are telling without playing into stereotypes that exist in Western societies around Muslim traditions? Well, thank you so much for saying that. And one of the reasons that Ani, who is a woman imam in the documentary, chose me is because I'm Muslim and she's Muslim obviously. And uh, she had a lot of people ask her to do a documentary about the work that she does. She didn't want to. The reason being exactly what you said is because we did not in any point sensationalize the story. It's like a window into a portrait of who this person is. And it's just like a point of view that hasn't really been seen in the mainstream media about women in Islam and from her point of view and wanted to showcase that. And I went with her because I saw an interview she did on Al Jazeera and other news networks. So as a journalist, I did see that. And then I met her. I was fascinated and very curious because as a Muslim, I didn't know I didn't grow up on that. I didn't realize this is something that is... We are not told that. Yeah. So I was very curious and um, I just feel like it was blocked from me for the longest time. So when I did see that, I was like, I want other people to experience exactly what I felt. Whether you agree or disagree, did you know that such thing exists? Did you know that these questions already exist? Like a big question, like the Quran does not say women cannot be mom, period. 
Mm-hmm. Like that's the biggest argument. It does not say that. You can use other arguments, a traditionalist point of view, which is like, oh, because the reason why women in the back and all of that, also there's no text that says such thing, but they're just to them, it's a distraction and seduction. Right. That's how they view, but that's how they view a lot of things like women driving or women like <laughs> yeah. doing a podcast or women working. So it's the same kind of like traditional mentality. And I didn't buy that. So I think a lot of times as Muslims, or I guess that comes with any person in a traditional environment, when I poke, I'm trying to make people think freely. Just because something you've been doing your whole life, you shouldn't take it for granted that this is the truth. It's the ultimate truth. Mm-hmm. Sometimes what we believe to be the ultimate truth is not. And that's a hard thing because then you're going to have a crisis. You're going to have identity crisis. You're going to have faith crisis. You're going to have whatever. You know, it's, it's a crisis because you've been told, you've been taught this your whole life. And then to realize there's a possibility that this is not true. There are other interpretations that also could be true. It takes a lot of courage. And it wasn't an easy project to do, but I tried to do it in the most authentic way, in the most honest way, in the most truthful way. And it did really well. And it did really spark a lot of conversation, which I didn't expect it to do for like a short film. But it did, because it shows that there is a lack, there's a whole void about that topic. There's a huge question mark about women in Islam, are they spiritually equal in their world in Islam? And it's not just like leading the prayer, like we show in the documentary, it's like Muslim women are not allowed to marry a non-Muslim man, but a Muslim man is allowed to marry a non-Muslim man. Mm. But there's nothing in the Quran that says this thing. They just use it as, oh, the kids follow the father, but that's necessarily true. Most of the time, the kid's actually more influenced by their mother. And then there's other arguments. What if like a Muslim man marries a Jewish women in Judaism that kids follow the mother and in Islam that kids follow the father so then in that case what is it what do you do right yes exactly so these questions again it's poking it's making a lot of people tick because they didn't think about it and it's creating a problem it's like a puzzle for them that they never thought of so that's why a lot of people are angry is because you're poking at things that you're making them question something that they took for granted but I want people to question Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him he did question a lot of things. He went to a cave for a whole month. That's the whole month become of Ramadan. And that's when the Quran was uh, revealed. And then he went to Khadija, his wife. He was scared and he was like uh, shaking. And uh, he says, the milun is a milun, which is cover me, cover me, because it was too much for him to handle. You cannot be a believer without doubt. That's what I'm trying to do. I love it. I love it. It's a free thinking. And it was established for people to express themselves and to speak freely. And that's what I believe the prophets did. And that's why I believe the prophets and all the prophets have been attacked by their own people is because they were free thinkers and because they shook the status quo that people have been following, the tradition that people have been following for thousands of years. So I want people to progress by first questioning whether the things that they're doing on a daily basis, do they actually work? Omar, I want to talk a little bit about tools that you use for storytelling. So you've talked about fiction and documentary, and I'm curious what different kinds of impact each has. It's not necessarily a different impact. I think there's just more exposure in fiction if you're doing like a big budget fiction. And obviously people go to the movies to watch them. But as I said, like documentary has now become a mainstream, so like our show is in top 10, including everything, including fiction and including nonfiction on Netflix for several weeks. So I think that line lately has been blurred 
Obviously, mm. the budget for fiction is a lot bigger if we're talking about like mainstream franchise or if we're talking about like studio films. Obviously, the budget is a lot bigger. It depends on the story, but sometimes you are able to manipulate emotions more with fiction because you have actors and you have lighting that you can manipulate it and you have other things with editing that you can do that can heighten certain emotion to make people right. feel something. Is there a story that you want to tell through fiction? There is. And there's a few stories that I want to tell. One of the things that I want to talk about is, it's called The Washroom, and it's about a story where a person who's um, a young Muslim imam who's trying to push for uh, expansion for his Muslim cemetery in Texas, but is getting blocked by this town of farmers who don't want it. So that was based on a true setting that I wanted to create in a documentary. But then I was like, oh, I want to fictionalize it because also like the topic is very sensitive and how do you film like people who are dead and like all these things. So I felt like making it in a documentary, but it's the idea of funeral industry in America is very Christianized and the way we bury hmm. as Muslims like facing Mecca and like with cloth and we don't do things like embalming that is been used by others as oh this is like a threat to the soil and drainage issues and you know and, and it goes about this whole like systemic racism in America about people that are not Christian and, ha- and the way they bury and that's a big issue for us Muslims because we have to bury right away uh, hmm. Islamically and so I guess the theme in that is like the idea of not belonging, even when you're dead. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so true. That's so profound. Can you belong? What does it mean to belong? Like, even when you're dead, you don't really. You're still struggling to belong or your family is struggling to belong. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. so true. So that's one of the things that I want to do. Who would you cast in this? Oh, I have people in mind, but I don't know if I want to say. <laughs> Maybe I'm superstitious. I feel like sometimes when I say something out loud. We can talk off mic or something, but I'm really curious. I do have a name in mind. Put it in the chat. <laughs> I will. <laughs> In the end, Omar, if you were to describe America in a word or a sentence, how would you do that? I would say finding yourself. That's nice. Yeah, I feel like America, at least has been to me, is finding who I am. It allowed me to find who I am. It allowed me to explore my faith, my identity, my beliefs, my ambition, my goals, my morals. So who are you, Omar? That's a, that's a journey that I'm going through right now. I wouldn't say I know exactly who I am. It's a work in progress. Oh, and I so like it. I know that I'm ambitious. I try as much as I can to be a free thinker. And I'm curious. And I know that I want to connect people together. But most importantly, I want to connect with myself and to know myself. And so I feel like a lot of the wars, a lot of the problems, a lot of the things that we have is actually because we don't know who we are and what we want and we are projected upon. And so America has been to me, the place gave me the ground to discover who I am. I love it. That's so true. And that's such an interesting perspective because you're right. A lot of times, most of us who leave our homeland and come to the U.S. are able to explore ourselves a lot more in the U.S., Mm-hmm. then we go back home, not because we are not allowed to, but because it's not part of our consciousness. We don't think about it as much. Mm-hmm. Where can people find your incredible work? Oh, thank you so much. Well, it's the same uh, name as me. So omaraldakil.com. 
Or you can just type my name on Google and probably will show you the website. And we'll add it to our show notes as well. So if somebody's interested, just go to our show notes once we release the episode. Yeah. And then if you want to email me or reach out through the website, you can do that. But yeah, thank you so much, Sadia. This is very therapeutic in a way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. Thank you so much, Omar. I loved, loved, loved this interview. And as Omar said, curiosity is what fuels us. It fuels human brain. And sometimes we try to quell it. We try to suppress it because it can be inconvenient. It can be messy. So what are you curious about? How do you deal with it? Write to me at sadia at immigrantlypod.com. Look, guys, I want this to be an interactive experience for all of us, for you and for me. So if you share your thoughts, it makes me think, learn and grow. This episode was produced by me, Sadia Khan, written by Bobak Afshari and me. The editorial review is done by Shay Yu. Our editor for this episode is Paroma Chakravarti. Theme music for Immigrantly is by Simon Hutchinson. Until next time, take care and be kind to yourself. <laughs>